Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've seen that the title for today's message is Be Careful How You Live, yet on the screen you see that every day comes with 86,400 seconds. Tick, tock, tick, tock. They're gradually, surely disappearing. Driving out to Mineral Wells on Sunday mornings, one of the things I most often listen to is uh, Casey Kasem in the American Top 40. He was more popular back in the 1970s and 80s, but this morning coming out, they were playing the Top 100 Songs of 1978. A lot of places do countdowns at the end of the years. They do recaps. That being in a uh, CBS the other day, I noticed that near the checkout counter there were a number of magazines, magazines I don't normally see unless I'm at a doctor's office or a dentist's office, like People Magazine or Us or whatever they are. And you notice that almost all the major news magazines put out an issue at the end of the year with special pictorial sections uh, recalling people and events that made news during the previous years. I picked one up and glanced at it, and it was people, famous people that we've lost this last year. Um, that's their way of saying they died. But in addition to that, many of these magazines also include articles by experts that predict what to, they expect in the years ahead. Uh, many of them actually go on to make predictions covering 10 or 20 or more years in the future. And in the past, uh, a few of these predictions have been have proven amazingly correct while others could not have been more wrong. Let me give you an example. Way back in 1967, experts predicted that by the turn of the century, by the year 2000, uh, technology would have taken over so much of the work that the average American work week would only be 22 hours and that we would only have to work 27 weeks a year. And as a result, they said one of our biggest problems uh, would be uh, what to do with all of our leisure time. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know that I've ever had a 22-hour work week, and I don't know that I've ever had, when I was still working regularly, that I worked only 27 weeks a year. In fact, most of us, I would suggest, are pretty busy. I used to think it was funny when people would say, well, what are you going to do when you retire? First of all, I would say, I, I don't intend to retire. I just want to refresh myself and reposition. But they said, you're going to probably find yourself busier than you were when you were actually working. <clears throat> I don't know if that's true or not, but I just know that there are a lot of people who are just busy, busy, busy. We're always in a hurry. Uh, we walk fast. We talk fast. We eat fast. The and after we eat all too often, we look at the other people at the table and say, excuse me, i got to run. So here we are on the first Sunday of 2015. Have you wondered at all what's going to happen this year? I mean, will we be as busy this year as last year? I mean, will we make any better use of our time? See, in 361 days, when this year is over... Will we be looking back with joy or regret? Will we be looking at the future with anticipation or with dread? You know, there's a passage of Scripture that I believe can be of help to us as we look forward to the rest of, of 2015. If we listen to it, it comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and it's these two verses. 
Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, as we look at what the Apostle Paul was writing to that Gentile church in Ephesus, I think he lays out before us three pretty important lessons that we need to consider at the beginning of a brand new year. The first lesson is simply this. We must be very careful how we live because our time on this earth is limited. You ever thought about that recently, that your time on this earth is running out? Psalm 39 says, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Or Psalm 90, verse 10, The length of our days is 70 or 80. If we have the strength, they quickly pass and we fly away. Now, I realize I can see out there there's a few of you uh, that 70 or 80 years old seems like a long, long time away. In fact, I can remember a point in my life when I thought anybody that was over 40 years old was ancient. In fact, as a teenager, I can remember with my friends sitting around talking one time, and we could not possibly even imagine ever living into the 2000s. It just seemed way too far in the future. But back in 1995, People Magazine published an article uh, entitled Dead Ahead. It told about a new clock that keeps track of how much time you have left to live. It calculated the average lifespan, 75 years for men, 80 for women. So what you do is uh, you program your sex and your age into the clock, and from then on it will tell you how much time you have left to live. It sold for $99.95. Now, I did not buy one. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of an intriguing idea. After all, isn't that what the psalmist told us to do, to number our days? Well, when I first heard about this clock, I figured out that if I lived to be 75 years old, I had just 18,615 days left to live. And when I redid that, I discovered that as of today, I'm down to 1,825. But I just say, hold on, just a minute. Neither you or I have a guarantee of even one more day to live. Friends of ours, a young girl who served as our director of Christian education at First Lutheran in Texas, and her husband, who was working on becoming a pastor, uh, just this last week, I got a notification that he was about to be ordained. He'd accepted a call to be the associate pastor at his church. And about a few days later, found out that their senior pastor uh, collapsed and died while out running. You know, no one counts on those things happening. In fact, the Bible tells us not to count on tomorrow, because tomorrow may not come for you, it may not come for me. All we have is right now. So our time on this earth is valuable. Why? Because it's very limited. But there's a second thing that Paul tells us. And he says we must make the most of every opportunity. And then he actually gives us a reason why we should do that. He said it's because the days are evil. Now, I don't know if you bother to read the news or not. I have some news sources that I read each and every day. And, I mean, sometimes I, just, I, I sometimes think this world couldn't get any worse. 
I mean, these are pretty rough, evil days you and I live in. In fact, I read something the other day. It was by Alice Cooper. I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, he's a singer, um, but surprisingly a devout Christian. And uh, the article grabbed me because he said, this world is run by Satan. Now, we know Satan is powerful, and he only works as far as God allows him to go. But yet Jesus had some interesting things to say about Satan. He said that he is a robber and a thief and a murderer. Now, what does Satan try to rob from us? I think that one of the things he tries to rob from us is our time, because time is a very precious possession. Just think about all the time that you've wasted in life sinning. Think about all the time uh, maybe that you've wasted sitting in bars or casinos or having shallow affairs or time wasted in gossiping or spreading rumors. Or Think about the time that you wasted just worrying about the consequences of the sins that you may have committed. So Satan is a thief. He's a robber. But it's not just sin that makes demands of our time. I mean, sometimes even good things can uh, make demands. Maybe you'll remember the story where Jesus went to the home of his good friends, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Jesus sat down out in the courtyard probably to teach. Mary was sitting at his feet, just soaking up every word. Meanwhile, Martha was in the kitchen banging pots and pans, preparing dinner. Uh, you, you know how that story goes. It's found in Luke 10. But Martha finally gets so upset because Mary's not in the kitchen too. She complains to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then those great words, Martha, Martha, you're upset and worried about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, let me ask this question. Was Martha committing a sin by fixing a meal out in the kitchen? No, of course not. But here was her problem. She was so preoccupied in doing what it was that she was doing that she did not realize that God was sitting in her living room. See, that's a mistake that you and I make almost every day. We get so caught up in what we're doing, all of our busyness, all the things in the here and now that we fail to think about the eternal, the things that are going to last forever and ever. Richard Swenson, uh, as a medical doctor, uh, wrote a book in which he discusses uh, one of the, the major maladies of our time. Uh, he says the major malady of our time is anxiety and stress, And he said, people who live in the world today are just plain simple overloaded. We're overloaded with commitments, although I'm not so sure that we're overloaded with commitments. I think sometimes we're just really busy because we're not not committed to anything. We just pile all kinds of activities, but we feel free to bail out on them just to do another one. We've committed ourselves to go here and there to take part in this activity, this social function, I mean, I've been in people's houses where I've seen their monthly calendar and see where parents are dragging their kids off to, you know, dance classes and horse riding classes and gymnastics classes. And we've got our bunco clubs and we've got our bridge clubs and we've got this. I mean, I look at their calendar. I'm like, I'm just I'm almost sweating looking at their calendar. There's so much stuff on it. And as a result, we sometimes 
uh, begin meeting ourselves coming and going because we are so overloaded with our so-called commitments. And on top of that, we're, we're overloaded with possessions. I don't know if this is you, but, you know, there are a lot of people whose closets are full and their garages are overflowing. Uh, and we tend to go into debt to pay for all of those things that we simply must have. And now we're so afraid that someone will steal all of our stuff from us. We, we have all of our security stuff out there, too. Uh, we're overloaded in the area of work. Uh, I mean, I think about somebody like Quentin. I know who, I just use him as an example, who heads into Fort Worth. I don't know if this would be your life or not, but you get up really early <coughs> and you find a lot of traffic and sometimes you're in a, in a tough working condition because you have to do it because you're going to pay for all those possessions that you've accumulated. I mean, I see a lot of traffic heading in and out uh, of the cities all the time. And on top of that, there's an information overload. Uh, this guy who wrote the book said, that as a doctor, he has to read 20 or 220 articles a month just to keep up with the changes in his profession. And now with the Internet, there's this big information superhighway. But the problem is we can't possibly absorb it all, but yet we still try. Now I can go on and on, but you kind of get the picture. There are so many demands on our time, so many good things that could be done, but there are just 8,760 hours in this year, and we've already used 83 of them. I think I figured that out by 11 o'clock. We used 83 this year. You know, we do want to make the most of every opportunity. So what are we called as Christ followers to do? Well, Paul actually gives us an answer. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer this out loud, but I want you to think about it for a moment. What do you think God's will is for you in this new year, you personally? Do you think he wants your mind so saturated with worries and anxieties that you could never squeeze out a spiritual thought? Do you think he wants your calendar so crowded that you don't have time for the important things? I mean, what do you think God's will is for you this year? Well, I'm going to make just a couple of suggestions. I can probably make a whole bunch of them. But one of them, I think, is for all of us just to establish our priorities. Now, I'm going to make this assumption. It's a dangerous assumption. But I'm just kind of assuming that since you're here in church this morning, that you actually believe in God. And, and therefore, he ought to be a very important uh, piece in your life. But when you begin to establish priorities, you have to decide where God fits in your life. So you have to ask yourself, who or what is the most important thing in my life? Now, I, I see some things on Facebook every once in a while. Somebody will post something that, I love so-and-so to the moon and back. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, you, you love them for a little over 300,000 miles. I don't know what, what that means. Or, you know, you are, you, are, you are my one and only. Now, I, I look at that sometimes and I, I wonder, is that right? That, you know, I've seen people like post pictures of their pets and say, I don't know what I would do without you. Well, I understand pets are pretty important too. I don't want to get on the bad side of those of you that have meowers and woofers. Um, but, you know, what really is most important in our life? 
Now, I would hope that our answer would be my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's most important to me. Well, if so, then you've got to put that at the top of your priority list and say, my relationship with God through Jesus is going to affect all of my decisions, all of my scheduling, all of my relationships with others, my entire outlook on life. Therefore, when Sunday rolls around, neither rain nor shine or cold weather or the time of uh, football kickoffs will interfere from my being in church because he comes first in my life. I will worship the Lord and nothing will interfere. That's one way to establish your priorities. I think the other time we talked a little bit about this this morning in, in adult Bible class, just to schedule some definite time each day to pray and to read his word. You know, pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for the people around you, pray for your neighbors, uh, pray for this church, pray for the next pastor, pray for the pastor who's going to leave when the next pastor comes, uh, pray for the missionaries. I mean, sometimes missionaries can feel so alone and so far away from their family and friends. You'll never know how much those prayers will mean to them, but you'll be blessed as you grow in your faith and you trust in the Lord. You know, be a, a biblical bloodhound. Get in there and dig and search and pray. And learn to live today. Uh, two of the uh, greatest enemies of time are regrets for things we did in the past and anxiety about what will happen to us in the future. In fact, many of us are living either in the past or in the future, and as a result, we're not really living very much in the present. In fact, I wouldn't doubt that there are a few of you that are here this morning that are engaged in playing the game called I Wish It Were. Do you ever play that game, I Wish It Were? I Wish It Were Next Week. I Wish It Were Tomorrow. I Wish It Were Next Month. I mean, kids go to school and they say, boy, I wish this day were over. I remember reading a story a number of years ago about a a young girl who went to college. She just absolutely hated college. But she told herself, if I can just get out of college and get married and have children, I know I'm going to be able to enjoy life. So she stuck with it. She went to classes every day, finally graduated from college. She actually got married. She had children. And lo and behold, she discovered that children are a lot of work. So she told herself, if I can just get these kids raised, then I'll be able to relax and enjoy life. But about the time the kids were entering high school, her husband came up to her and said, guess what, we don't have enough money to send our kids to college. I think you're going to need to go out and get yourself a job. Well, she didn't want to, but she knew that he was right. They needed the money, so she went to work. And she hated it. But she kept telling herself, if I can just get these kids out of college and get all of our bills paid, then I can quit work and finally enjoy life. And finally, the last child graduated from college. All the bills were paid. She walked into her boss's office and said, I quit. He said, oh, you don't want to quit now. I mean, if you stay with us just another eight years, you'll be fully vested. You have a pension for the rest of your life. And she thought to herself, boy, I really don't want to work. Another eight years, but there's all that money there. Uh, I really can't turn down the opportunity, so she worked for another eight years. And finally, she and her husband retired. At the same time, they sold their home and bought a little retirement cottage on the lake. And then they sat down on the front porch and looked at family pictures and dreamed about the good old days. (laughs) I didn't laugh, but I have a feeling that some of you get pretty close to that. 
See, someone has once said, life is what happens to you while you're making plans to do something else. And I think that's true. See, another year has come and gone. And a new year now stretches 361 days out in front of us. And one simple prayer would be, Lord, help us redeem that time. So part of my message today is, friends, have a happy new year. I think the best days lie ahead of us. And during the new year, my prayer for you and me is simply this, that we have enough happiness to keep us sweet, enough trials in our life to keep us strong, enough sorrows to keep us human, enough hope to keep us happy, enough failure to keep us humble, and enough success to keep us eager, and enough friends to give us comfort, enough wealth to meet our needs, enough enthusiasm to make us look forward to tomorrow, and enough determination to make each day better than the day before. Simply pray, Lord, help us to use the 8,760 hours of this year the wisest way we can do for you and for your glory. Perhaps summing it up in Romans chapter 13 where Paul says, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light.